to yet another episode of the Justin Insight podcast. Uh, we have officially had over a thousand listeners, uh, which is absolutely amazing considering I started this podcast just over three months ago, which, yeah, really, really appreciate everyone who's tuned in, listened to, supported this show so far, and long may it continue. As always, my name is Tim Birkbeck. I am a writer, I am a lover of music, films and wrestling, but most importantly of all, I am your body and vehicle through this podcast. My weekly little roundup that I like to do, uh, once again a pretty work-heavy week for me, uh, despite the Easter holiday, which I hope everyone enjoyed. Um, as well as normal work, I got to see quite a few cool other little bits and pieces. Um, I interviewed uh, Here's Legend uh, about their upcoming record, Few. So that interview will be going up on uh, alreadyheard.com very soon. Um, so I'll be shouting about that on social media as per usual. Uh, also did a few bits for, for Vulture Hound. Um, had to kind of put uh, things for them on the back burner a little bit just because I had so much other things going on, but kind of back in the flow of things. So I uh, did a film review for them uh, on a film called uh, Brotherhood of Blades, uh, which is, if you kind of think the Three Musketeers during uh, the Ming Dynasty kind of time period, um, it's pretty much in a nutshell. It's a pretty cool film. If you're into your your martial arts films, I'd recommend it. It's not just all full body action. There's a good, there's quite a decent story to it as well. Uh, also did a review of probably one of my favourite records so far this year. Uh, in the Diet Sigs, uh, I swear I'm good at this album. Um, I just thought it was absolutely beautiful. I think like it really speaks to to a certain listener, um, and you can kind of really feel what the what the duo is going for. So yeah, really highly recommend going and listening to that album. Um, and finally, uh, I did a, about a month or so ago. I did an interview with the Winter Passing, and um, that is now live over at VultureHound.co.uk. Um, so if you're a fan of those guys excited about the new record as much as I am um, then please head over to to that website and have a little read of it um, outside of work my band The Divorcee uh, we played a Washed Out Festival in Brighton on Saturday which was loads of fun had loads of rad bands on it um, it was really cool to for us as well because we've played Brighton a few times but we kind of have a, a stable kind of crowd that we sometimes play to when we do play there but I think we we got a different kind of crowd this time we had a really good reception which I was really happy about um I got really hot and sweaty and had lots of fun um it was really good to to see some old friends as well some of whom who I haven't seen for ages um so yeah it was just a, a really good weekend um but yeah enough of me rambling on I always ramble way too long on these little roundups that I do um but on to today's episode uh I'm hoping it's going to be the first in a new monthly feature for the Justin Insight podcast. Um, basically, because I, I talk to bands and stuff, I talk to, to friends about wrestling, so I thought I'd try and combine the two um, and talk to my friends who were in bands or just friends in general about their favourite wrestler um, and why they like that person. So helping me kind of kickstart this new feature... Uh, is the host of the Holy Royal podcast. He's also the host of the Bantamania podcast. Um, and he was also the former frontman of uh, UK Swell's very own Pariso, uh, Maz Gambadella. Um, he was kind enough to, to take some time out to talk to me about who his favourite wrestler is. So uh, I hope you all enjoy the little chat I have with Maz, and I will see you on the other side. <laughs>
So uh, we're starting a new feature on the Justin Insight podcast where I'm going to speak to some of my friends about who their favourite wrestler is. So the first guest I'm having on this is Maz Gambadella. Have I said that right? You said that perfectly. Oh, yes. Um, I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to sort of go with, with how you are and everything because we've been talking for quite a while now. So I think we've kind of already done, done the pleasantries and all that. But um, yeah... <laughs> So I wanted to speak to Maz about who his his favourite wrestler was, and he kind of narrowed it down finally. So Maz, who is your favourite wrestler? Uh, well, it was hard to get this question because um, I don't really have a favourite wrestler because I have wrestlers who are my favourites for different reasons. Um, but for an overall um, sort of competitor, uh, wrestler, it's... Brett the Hitman Hart. See, right. When you told me this, I was quite interested because I was never and still haven't really a massive Bret Hart fan. So I was kind of interested to sort of see, because I think a lot of wrestling fans kind of have the same sort of core like wrestlers that they kind of are drawn to and things like that. But with Bret, he was one of the ones I think you were either a Bret Hart guy or a Shawn Michaels guy. And I was definitely a Shawn Michaels guy. So what, what drew, drew you to Bret? Um, well, I think it was because of when I started watching wrestling. Uh, I started watching wrestling in the early 90s, so about 1991. And um, at the time, I mean, Brett was just coming into his own. I mean, he had the tag team with the Hart Foundation, obviously. Um, but when I look at like the top three or four wrestlers of all time, like for me anyway, Brett's always going to be over Sean just because of how Sean was back in the day and how, you know, sometimes he wouldn't do jobs and stuff like that. But Brett was always a, uh, a consistent, you know, Matt technician. Um, and as far as me being a fan when I was young, he just, he was just so cool. Like for someone who, you know, wore what he wore, you know, he had the shades. He just, he just looked cool for me. And, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that you went to uh, SummerSlam 92 and obviously that was main evented by, by Brett and Bulldog. So was that kind of another yeah. thing that, that drew you to him to, to have that live experience of him? Uh, to an extent, I mean, to be honest, I can't really remember that much about it because I was I was about 10 years old <laughs> yeah. when uh, we went. Um, but, I mean, to get to see Bret Hart live was just... It was unbelievable. I, I, that whole. It's funny because when you ask me about this question, watch some of uh, some of his best matches, and in the ring, I'd say he could make anyone look like a million million bucks. Mm. Um, that that whole that whole feud. It wasn't really a feud, really, because obviously Bulldog and Brett are related. They went into it both as baby faces but Brett was kind of healing it up a little bit but he just like you watch his matches and he just was so like 
fluid and like he could work so well he could bump amazingly and um the one thing I loved about him when I was a kid was I always loved the fact that he'd go out into the crowd and give uh, a kid like his shades and I always wanted to be that kid <laughs> yeah. so in the back of my head I was like maybe he'll come to the 15th millionth row at <laughs> Wembley Arena and find me and give me his shades and when you because obviously I know we've got now like the luxury of like the network and, and looking back at sort of the history of all these wrestlers, but was there any like particular point when you were watching him when you were younger that you can remember of that you thought, right, he's my guy kind of thing? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the great thing about the network is that you can go back and rewatch all these moments, but the, my, one of my first memories of Brett was, um, in 90, three or four when he had the feud with uh, his brother Owen yeah and uh, it was it was so good I mean the story was just really compelling to me as a kid where you know you had Bret Hart who was you know at the time like one of the top baby faces you know it was really popular and then you had his um, younger kind of more jealous brother who kind of resented the fact that he was so popular um, that was my one thing that I remembered mostly um, about Brett and kind of looking back at his career in WWF, he he kind of had an underdog story um, that you could almost relate to, uh, you know, like a Daniel Bryan or something because he, when he debuted, well, when he started becoming a singles person, he was basically in the land of the Giants. He still had Hogan when Hogan left they put the rocket on Lex Luger and then uh, you know they realized that didn't work and then they sort of reluctantly went with Brett and he became one of their most popular wrestlers mm. and I think like looking back now obviously and seeing everything that he kind of did as you say it was kind of reluctant but he was always kind of Mr. Reliable and Mr. Consistent as well and as you mentioned before like you could, he could, whoever he was in the ring with, he could make them look a million dollars. And yeah. I think one thing that, as I said, I was always kind of more of a, a Sean guy than than Brett. But obviously, I think them two together, their matches, they they were both. It was almost kind of a a bit of one upsmanship. Like they always wanted to to be that that better guy. And I, I obviously looking back and reading on things we know about like the inner politics of, of how that all came about but were, were you kind of watching it when when you were younger did you kind of were you invested in that storyline that they were just these were the two top guys just trying to be better than each other well at the time um a lot of the politics of it kind of went over my head because yeah. obviously i was quite young you know the sunny days like reference and all that stuff you know i obviously had no idea but um at the time i don't know looking back at that whole feud now because actually uh, i watched the iron man match that they had at wrestlemania recently yeah and their 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 feud looking back at it now is it was absolutely brilliant because there was that that was that there was that one-upsmanship between the both of them that they both wanted to be the guy and 
you could see it coming out of their promos and their matches that they did not like each other and they showed it and they wanted to be the better person like in the ring and i i would go to say that if you are a wrestling fan go and watch sean and brett in 96 97 because their matches were absolutely phenomenal because there was that resentment and obviously before we we had this little chat you've mentioned that you kind of went back and watched in your opinion some of his best matches so so talk mm-hmm. talk us through some of those matches that you watched um so i went back and uh well I've, i i went back started in 91 uh, and then went all the way to the 97 um so um you know he i think going back to like what i was saying about how he made people look really good uh in the ring you will be surprised at how he made some wrestlers who some people may say were not the best make them look amazing. Okay. Um, like who? So, for, uh, well, for instance, in in '97, uh, I want to say uh, they'd put the title on Diesel. Now, obviously, for people that know Diesel, he's not exactly a, a ring technician by any <laughs> yeah. means, but. Brett had this amazing talent to just make these guys look amazing. Like in King of the Ring, uh, in '93, he 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 obviously won that uh, tournament. But his his finals was against Bam Bam Bigelow. Now, obviously, again, he is a great wrestler, but you were so invested. Like this is the thing. Like Brett could tell amazing stories in the ring that that had a, a linear storyline within that that match uh you know for instance like the bam bam big lane match that he had it was the case of brett had already wrestled twice uh against razor ramon and mr perfect and he'd injured his fingers uh during the match with the opening match with razor and he sold it throughout each of those matches and the idea of people selling uh injuries now is kind of laughable but brett would do that like he'd always go back to the fingers and you know that was his like one weakness that he had and uh you know he he had this underdog story going into it you know him against bam bam bigelow and he eventually had an amazing match i mean i wouldn't say like bam bam bigelow is one of my favorite wrestlers of all, t- of all time, but he Brett got me invested in those matches. Mm. Uh, so uh, there's the obviously the famous story of uh, Tom McGee. I don't know if you've heard that story before, Tim. Um, no, it doesn't ring any bells. So, um, sorry, I'm just doing somewhere on the internet. Um, <laughs> so basically, uh, basically uh, Vince and the company had found this guy called Tom McGee. Who was a he was a bodybuilder and he was a gymnast. He looked amazing. Um, Vince saw dollar signs with him. Yeah. And because um, again they needed to to find a new Hogan at this point. I, I can't remember what year it was, but so they put him in a match. Uh, he'd trained for a little bit, Tom McGee, and they put him in a match with Bret Hart. And they had, I mean, 
it's in like wrestling folklore this this match because it apparently got taped but no one's seen it and it's like one of those yeah wrestling rumors and stories and uh matt uh Brett had an amazing match with him, apparently. And Vince was like, this is brilliant. We found our new top guy, this Tom McGee guy. And uh, then they put him in a match with someone else and they realized how terrible he was. Uh, you know, he couldn't wrestle. He, he wasn't good. And um, it just goes to show that, again, Brett can make anyone look amazing. Yeah. And I think, like, as, as I said, I'm not the biggest brett fan but i think if you look at the the amount of well for how long he was in the business and where he got to in the business you've obviously got to have some form of talent to get there but i think as you, even like looking back on sort of history you look at some of his matches that he's had and obviously i know the way that wrestlers are today like technically is completely different but he wouldn't like obviously in his prime. He wouldn't be sort of necessarily out of place putting him in a match like today. I don't think. No, no. I mean, obviously, his story is is quite tragic when you think about it. Like especially in his later years. But when he was coming up, I mean, a, a match I recommend anyone going to watch is him and Mister Perfect in '91 uh, for the Intercontinental Championship, and. You think 91, um, you know, you're going to get headlocks and power slams. But these two just, they beat the shit out of each other. Yeah. And it looked it looked absolutely amazing. They did some, they, they did spots that they would carry on through the entire match that would make a story. Like, uh, uh, one of the things going into it is they would always, like, do a hair-pulling spot. And obviously, Mr. Perfect, uh, again, is an amazing wrestler, and he would sell the shit out of it. Um, uh, what Brett would do is he would um, uh, start injuring the leg to set him up for uh, the sharpshooter, and um, Perfect would be selling around the ring ring ropes, and Brett would kick his foot, um, and uh, Perfect would like do a a 180 flip and like drop himself on his own neck and it looks <laughs> insane i mean he just he would bump so well um you know i mean i don't know it's he's i feel like obviously everyone would say yeah bret hart's an amazing wrestler but when you think about his actual career you know, it it was an underdog story. They only really knew what they got with him once they he started feuding with Sean, and then obviously the Stone Cold uh, feud that he had was amazing because it was the first time Brett had gone heel. Mm. And um, you know, uh, yes, he probably isn't the best promo guy in the world, but when he was in it, when he was a heel, saying like all Americans can, you know, are all shit or whatever the verbiage was. You know, he he was a bit of an arsehole, but whenever yeah. he'd go to Canada, he would be an instant babyface, and everyone who's supposed to be a babyface was a heel. It was just, uh, it was absolutely brilliant. And one thing that I wanted to to ask you about is because obviously I I get that obviously wrestling evolves and everyone kind of takes bits and pieces from wrestlers of old, sort of thing. And one yeah. thing that obviously gets thrown around a lot is the sharpshooter and for me nowadays 
that it doesn't look like a, a move that could be as painful as it is as it's meant to be and i don't think we've actually seen anyone tap to a sharpshooter in a very long time but do do you find that like a move that was so obviously synonymous with with brett and that it was obviously put so many people away is now kind of just used as a secondary move does that kind of dampen it for you a bit yeah i think that's uh that's a that's a question that you could argue with a lot of things you know i think for example the ddt was a finisher yeah. in the 90s you could finish someone off with that and now it's not even a setup move um but the thing is you can make them mean something if you build them right you know if you build a wrestling match right you could finish the match with anything really but i think it's a case of a lot of these wrestlers now are kind of marks and they all like the finishers of their favorite wrestlers so they'll use them in the move but not as finishers and um with with brett's matches like there was a story he would set you up for the sharpshooter you know he would weaken the legs and as a fan when i was a kid like as soon as he put that in it was like oh oh no is he gonna tap you know it was uh it was it was a great um finishing maneuver for me uh mm. so it is it's a shame that the sharpshooter isn't used i mean when the rock used to do it that always used to make me laugh because the rock used to look like he was in more pain than <laughs> yeah. the supposed opponent um so yeah it is a, it is a bit annoying uh when i look at it now but it, it's something that can easily be um revigorated in some respect and i think like one of the obviously the ones that stands out for most people is obviously when the one where he had Stone Cold and Stone Cold's obviously just dripping with blood from his face and as you say I think think obviously in that aspect it was there to tell a story but now as you say it might might get reinvented again later on down the line but I don't know for me personally when I see a sharpshooter now I'm just sort of like oh okay like we get it You, you used to watch Bret Hart sort of thing that's kind of just how I feel about it it just goes yeah i mean it just goes to how much of an influence he was i mean think about how many times the screw job has been mentioned in wwe programming like yeah. i like going back to going back to that uh, match that you mentioned uh, the stone cold bret hart match the submission match um the story was like bret was you know again this like baby face uh, you know, kids loved him, and Stone Cold had just started his character where he was like, "I think, I think you're shit. I, I'm way better than you. I don't cater to children like you do." You know, uh, and they went into that match and they did a swap. Brett went heel, and Stone Cold then became the face. Yeah. Um, again, it was just it was just brilliant, brilliant storytelling in a match. You know. Um, and yeah, like I wasn't watching wrestling during the screw job. Um, obviously I had to go back and watch it and, you know, he, he'd been, Brett had been fucked around so many times by that point that it was funny because WWE assumed that they would look like the good guys in this whole thing, you know, Mm. where Vince did that interview and said, you know, Brett screwed Brett. Everyone 
was like, no, you're an asshole, and he is like our guy, and now he's gone to WCW, and that then became the Vince McMahon character. So if anything, you could say that Brett helped start the Attitude Era in yeah. some respect. Yeah. Okay, I was going to obviously touch upon the the screw job, but like, as, as you say, I don't, I wasn't really kind of watching wrestling around the time, and it's one of those things that as a wrestling fan, you go back and kind of watch, but it's, it's bizarre that like, even nowadays, I think, well, when was it? When Natty and Charlotte did, did a, a version of it, like a few months back, like the fact that people are still talking about it to, in 2016, 2017 shows like, as you say, like, okay, at the time it was this massive political hot potato, that Brett was the bad guy and everything, but it's now almost become something really iconic that has shaped the way that fans view wrestling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's uh, it just goes to the fact that I think I think the reason why the screw job is referenced so much is that it's those things that wrestling fans love and like champ at the bit for is that that realness coming through like that i think i can't remember who said it but you know they were saying something along the lines of if you want a good story you need to have a little bit of the truth exaggerated Mm. and obviously you know that everything that came out of it you know a lot of it was true and it was behind the the, behind the scenes politics and stuff like that it just uh it kind of just, uh, it was so intriguing, so fascinating, just how, you know, his contract was due and he had creative control and he was going to go to WCW and, you know, people thought he was going to be on WCW programming with the belt and all this stuff. And just out of coincidence, there's a documentary team following Brett at the same time. It was, uh, you know, I was just gutted that I wasn't watching it at that time, really. Yeah, I think obviously, like, hindsight being what it is obviously you don't get the full kind of effect of what it was at the time but like one of the things i found quite interesting was that obviously where where brett did go over to wcw and i know obviously he did kind of hold the belt at times and did have a run there but it almost kind of felt like he was almost a pawn in in this in the monday night wars and he kind of got a little bit lost in the shuffle at WCW. Um, so I, I, I don't, obviously I know things panned out and he kind of ended up coming back and things like that, but do you feel that it was, looking back at it, was it a bad move for him going to WCW or did you still think that Bret Hart can be Bret Hart wherever he is? Oh, I mean, he could get over wherever he wanted to. I mean, they just offered him more money, so it, it worked out for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I think at the time, I don't think Brett wanted to leave. I think he wanted to stay. But, you know, if you look at that time period, like wrestling was not popular, uh, you know, during like, uh, was it 97? Yeah. You know, it wasn't popular at all. Um, so they, they couldn't afford him. And based on what I've read and things like that, um, it was a bit of both. I think Brett resented the fact that he was there. And also WCW didn't, re- I mean, at that point, you're in Hogan territory. You know, he had creative control, so you're not getting over Hogan. So it was kind of the land of... <laughs> they say the land of the Giants. This was the land of 
anything goes. Yeah. Like, anyone could just, like, you know, write wherever they wanted to, and, you know, there's so much politics involved. And unfortunately, that was kind of... I feel... Re- I mean, it's so sad to kind of see what happened with Brett in WCW because, you know, his brother had died a couple of years later and um, Brian Pillman also died, who was a really close friend of his. And then he got concussed by Goldberg and had the stroke and all that stuff. And that's not how his career should have ended. You know, obviously it's it sucks that that happened to him. And, you know, for someone who's who was, in my opinion, one of the best wrestlers of the time to have his career shortened that way through all that sadness was uh, it was just a tragedy really mm. and then obviously I know that, that was kind of like the prime time in his career but once he kind of retired obviously with most sort of uh, wrestlers of that era they kind of still hung around a little bit obviously he did a stint as Raw General Manager and obviously there's still references to him today like whenever Natalia's kind of in the ring and things like that but the there was obviously the Hart Dynasty. Were they called the Hart Dynasty? Was when it was Tyson Kidd, Natalia, and um, oh yeah, yeah, Davy Boy Smith. Like, did you kind of enjoy that kind of that new role that he kind of put into? Or because for for me, whenever I see like even people like when the even like people when the Rock return, like okay, yeah, it's a nostalgia trip, but I don't. I want to see the new guys. I don't want to go down memory lane all the time. No, I, I agree. I think um, this is another ongoing kind of argument between wrestling fans, I guess, is, you know, the, the role of part-timers, you know. Um, for me, I mean, it's I, I like seeing part-timers from time to time, you know. It's, it's, it's nice. It's a nostalgic thing. And no matter what anyone says, part-timers bring in more people yeah. you know, at WrestleMania. That's why they're there, you know. And... It sometimes it does take a spot, but you know there's more eyes on the product. Uh, with Brett, uh, I mean, at the you know recently in the last couple of years, he's made more people laugh than you know, anything. Basically, <laughs> yeah. what he's what he's written about people. Um, but yeah, again, I wasn't following the product uh, during that whole dynasty thing. Uh, so I can't really say, but the last time I remember watching Brett on TV was, uh, he, the last thing was his thing in NXT when Natalia and Charlotte had that yeah, match. Yeah. And that made me laugh because, uh, Brett is known to be, he doesn't really show his emotions much. And it's so funny at the end of that match where Rick's there. Charlotte's there, Natalia's there, they're all crying, and then Brett's like at the back going, kind of nodding, because like, <laughs> yeah. he's not that emotional about it. Um, but yeah. Um, and then the other time was uh, Rule 1000 when he came out with uh, Heath Slayer. I thought that was really fun. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was good. I like that a lot. But um, the other thing I wanted to, to talk about is obviously what, what he's, obviously I know he's kind of had health issues of, of recent but in the last couple of years he's kind of been going around uh doing like sort of talks and seminars and and things like that and as you say like he's kind of making more people laugh about what he's writing about um mm. and obviously his sort of dark past is very well documented so do you think like 
from a fan of fan point of view, like for someone that is a fan of Bret Hart, that it's nice that he's kind of put everything behind him and now minus like health issues and stuff that he is just enjoying being Bret Hart. Do you, have you enjoyed seeing that side of him? Uh, yeah. I, the one thing I will say about Bret is my favorite thing about him now is that he does not give a flying fuck. About anything. <laughs> yeah. He will say whatever he wants. I'll give you a perfect example. I can't tell you the amount of times that he's called Triple H someone who's just maybe above average wrestler, who never drew a dime, who wasn't good in the ring. And then obviously that goes back to the screw job and stuff because he still resents him for it. But they still bring him back yeah. because he's a name. Like, how many times, like, let's say you work somewhere and you shit talk the boss all the time on social media or whatever, and you're such a valuable hand to them that they can bring you back regardless of what you said about <laughs> yeah. them it's, it's absolutely brilliant I mean a lot of the stuff he said about Samoa Joe and Seth Rollins I'm kind of a bit because uh, uh, I don't agree with it wholeheartedly but it's he's brilliant like he thinks Triple H is shit he thought Eric Bischoff can book a, anything because he was an idiot uh, he hated Hogan um, yeah, he just doesn't care, and I love it. Um, and what I'm going to do with each of these segments, whoever I, I talk to about whoever they are, is kind of put it back into the the present day. So if Brett was still in his prime today and was mm-hmm. on WWE roster, whether it be Raw or SmackDown, book your dream match. Right, okay, so so prime Brett now. Yeah, with current roster. Oh man, there's so many guys you could go in there with. Um, I'd like just as a, a feud going. I think Seth Rollins and Brett would be funny. <laughs> yeah. That's what he said about him. Um, Brett, I tell you what, Brett works really well with um, sort of kind of mat technicians, but then he also works really well with big guys as well. So. I could see him working with Braun Strowman really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see him with uh, Adolf Ziggler or something like that as well, someone who could bump for him really well. Um, I mean, the dream match that I think every wrestling fan has always fantasized about, for me as well, especially as Kurt Angle and Brett, it was, it was a shame they never, ever got to be in a ring together. Mm. And uh, Brett's been on record and said like he's had dreams about fighting Kurt Angle, like he's woken up from dreams wrestling Kurt Angle. <laughs> so that's, how, that's how crazy it was. I mean, um, yeah, I, I, I think those guys would be really good. Him and Cena. See him and seeing it. I mean, that match would just be fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, to be honest, I think you know if someone's a really good wrestler if you could see him in the ring with a lot of different people, like yeah. not just like big guys or small guys or whatever it is. So, I mean, I could see him with nearly everyone on 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 the roster. Any of the really good guys, anyway. As I say, I think for for my own personal thing, as you say, kind of going back to him being really good with like technicians i'd love to see him and cesaro because i think that would be oh, just yeah. phenomenal he i tell you what brett is he did some amazing like his offense it looks amazing he looks like he's beating the shit out of you like his european uppercuts were great and yeah just seeing him in in the ring with like a 
yeah, with a Cesaro or something would just be absolutely brilliant. I mean, you can tell with a lot of wrestlers currently on the roster that like take off of bite off of Brett. Yeah, um, yeah. And Cesaro is one of them for sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, Maz, I didn't really put you over at the beginning of, of this little segment because we've been talking so long. So as yeah. as host of, of two podcasts and a former member of Pariso, big yourself up a little bit. Oh, oh thank you. <laughs> uh, so, uh, well, okay, so um, social media, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Maz Gambadella, which is uh, at M-A-Z-Z. G-A-M-B-A-R-D-E-L-L-A. Uh, basically, it's me uh, tweeting, uh, just humble bragging myself a lot or putting <laughs> someone else over or talking about wrestling. Uh, so find me on there. Um, yeah, I host two uh, podcasts. One is the Holy Raw podcast, Holy Raw Records podcast. It's, um, uh, it's like a fortnightly uh, podcast where we chat to people within the Holy Raw uh, sort of scene uh, so like hardcore metal uh, rock kind of uh, bands where yeah we just have a chat with them and we talk about touring and music and uh, stuff like that uh, so you can find that on SoundCloud which is SoundCloud slash Holy Raw podcast but it's also on iTunes and recently I've just set up a new podcast called Bantamania uh, it's uh, me chatting to uh, my friends who are also into wrestling and uh uh, I get the guests to choose a, a subject about wrestling and we chat about it or banter about it, I guess. And um, we, uh, yeah, we just talk about wrestling. It's really fun. Uh, and you can find that on SoundCloud as well. That's uh, soundcloud.com forward slash bantamania. And it's also on iTunes as well. And if I'm going to put myself even more over, <laughs> uh, I used to be in a band like ages ago called Parizo. And uh, yeah, it's uh, music's up on Cool. Um, uh, all that stuff brilliant awesome Maz thank you very much for talking all things Bret Hart oh cheers mate I could talk about Bret Hart for ages and uh, he he should go I mean as as far as like the top guys for me it's it's Bret Flair and Michaels and because he was like my go to guy as a kid it's always going to be Bret so uh, yeah it was great to talk about Bret and uh, for, just to kind of give some recommendations of matches um, I'd uh, go watch his uh, submission match with Stone Cold at WrestleMania, um, and uh, I think yeah, WrestleMania 13. His matches with Owen Hart. Uh, one of his best opponents was Mr. Perfect for sure. So go check them out. Uh, SummerSlam 92 with the Bulldog. That's a good one. And uh, if you want to watch WCW, Brett, uh, he had an amazing tribute match, uh, an Owen Hart tribute match against Chris Benoit. Uh, which was absolutely amazing. Uh, but all that stuff's on the WWE network. So, so yeah, thank you very much, Tim. I really no, that's appreciate cool, man. it. Brilliant. Cheers, that dude. Thank you. Bye. Cool. 
So there we have it, folks. Brett the Hitman Hart. As mentioned in the chat with Maz, I've never really been the biggest uh, Brett fan, but thanks to the beauty that is the WWE Network, uh, you can go back and look at all of Brett's matches. Um, so once I kind of finished the little chat with Maz, I went back, had a look at the couple of the ones that he mentioned, and yeah, highly recommend going and check them out because Brett was an awesome technical wrestler, and as Maz mentions he could make anyone look a million dollars which I think as a wrestler that's pretty much part of the job and if you can do that you're going to be pretty successful um, if you want to talk to me about who your favourite wrestler is please get in touch with the show um, you can tweet us at just underscore and underscore insight uh, using the hashtag JAIpod uh, or you can email us which is just underscore and underscore insight at hotmail.co.uk uh, next week's guest on the show will be uh, Michael Rowe from the band uh, Daisy Head. He's talking about the band's new album, which is coming out this month. Um, so keep an eye out for that one. Um, I've got a pretty busy weekend ahead of me uh, this coming weekend. Uh, going up to Bristol to see some friends um, and also the Devil Sold His Soul uh, show. Uh, going to see Integrity and there's also an all day all happening three days in a row. So next week's episode might be a little bit later than usual i'm hoping not but pre-warning might not be tuesday might be wednesday um but anyway ladies and gentlemen thanks again for stopping by the justin insight podcast and i will see you soon